0: Good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. Um, glad to hear what God has done and is doing at Bethel. I know that that's a ministry that's near and dear to our hearts. And many of us have had uh, the privilege of being a part of what God is doing there, which is exciting. You know, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. Do you believe that? It feels good. It feels good to uh, be used by God to, to give, to make a difference. And uh, I got a picture yesterday of Matrine, our, our girl that we sponsor there who's in grade five, and it's cool to be able to have a, have a daughter here in grade five and know that we're, um, just with a few dollars, able to really change the course of a life of uh, of a girl like that on the other side of the world. Um, so that feels good. Um, what a worthy cause to support. And I got a hug this morning from a Ukrainian. He just came up to me. <laughs> Seems like an odd thing to clap at, but... Uh, and, uh, it might be the first time I've ever been hugged by a Ukrainian. I don't, I don't recall. But uh, anyway, Jack, Jack and Deanna, that, uh, the newest couple that we helped uh, settle here from um, Ukraine. Jack Jack is working on his English. He's doing good, but he has the least English of them all. And you can tell he's growing in it. And he came up to me and he said, thank you for the check. And I thought, did I give this guy money? I hope I didn't. Like, did he? I don't remember giving him a check, But, uh, and then I included, ah, yes, we as a church, through your generosity, we gave them a check to cover the first couple months of rent in their new place. And so, they're just thrilled. So, I just want you to know, and just worthy of celebration, that uh, a few weeks ago, we put out the call. Uh, There was a a few things. They needed a home. They needed a car, and they needed jobs. And in one week, God provided all of that. They're just over the moon, praising God. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, it just feels good. It feels good to, to just to be able to give and make a difference, um, as those who know God. Uh, just want to take a moment here. We don't normally just kind of pause and pray for specific things because uh, you know there's there's a lot going on in the life of our church and in the in the, in the people in our body here. But I was just handed a note here before. Um, it's two minutes before the, the service began that Darlene McMaster, some of you will know Wayne and Darlene. They're um, a senior couple in our church, a lovely couple. Uh, I guess she just suddenly took ill and she's not in good shape and she's uh, been rushed to, um, to Winnipeg. And so her husband Wayne just asked if we could uh, pray for them. So can we just take a few seconds and lift a, a Darlene um, up in prayer. God, we thank you that you are everywhere Lord, you are with Darlene and Wayne, and we don't know what's happening, God, you know what's happening, but Lord, uh, they're looking to you for help, intervention, and so God, we just pray, Lord, that you would guard her life, Lord, that you would bring a resolution to whatever is wrong, Lord, and um, that you would just work at this to, to restore her, um, and bring yourself glory, and, and uh, may you just grant them peace right now in this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Anxiety. This is a thing. Have you heard of this? Anxiety? It it seems to me like we're hearing that word more often than we used to. I mean, I'm not super old, so I'm not really sure, but I feel like I'm hearing this word more and more. Maybe it's because, uh, as a society, we're just more free to be able to talk about some of our struggles, not just to kind of keep it suppressed, but to share that, which is a great thing. So, So maybe we hear about it more just because we're talking about it more. Maybe we hear about it more because we're experiencing it more. I mean, anxiety's always been there because Paul talked about it, right? 2,000 years ago, people were anxious, but, but I wonder if we are living in an anxious age. In fact, I've been reading this, this description for our world um, in a variety of places like secular articles, New York Times, people more and more, they're calling this an anxious age. Um, I, I've talked with people who are in the high schools and, and they're saying, you know what, it's, it's, if someone doesn't have real struggles with anxiety, it's all, that's almost strange. Um, just reading some stats. Uh, any given year, at least 20% of the population actually has such severe anxiety that it's considered uh, an order or disorder, an anxiety disorder. So many people are carrying anxiety with them in life. Um, I've been told by my therapist wife that, uh, not my therapist's wife, which would be fine too, but my therapist wife, that just to tell someone who's anxious to stop being anxious doesn't help. Because I've tried that before. And apparently I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, apparently that, that's not helpful. To, to tell someone who's afraid to stop being afraid or to tell someone who's worrying to just don't worry, apparently that doesn't work. Um, and, and it doesn't. And, and so, so Paul has a lot more to say. He doesn't just say don't be anxious about anything. But those are some of the words we just read here that Paul wrote in, Ephesians, or in Philippians chapter 4. He said, do not be anxious about anything. Um, that feels both really challenging and oddly encouraging for me to hear that. What that tells me, just like last week when we looked at the previous verses and we found that real Christians face real conflict, what this tells me is real Christians face real anxiety. If it's something you're facing, that's not weird. It's not unexpected to have to confront that. Real Christians face real anxiety. That's why he gave instruction about it. And yet, he has this command a command. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, when you look in the life of Jesus, uh, we have these four Gospels that record his life. You see Jesus experiencing the whole gamut of human experience. We see how Jesus experienced sadness. He experienced um, grief. Jesus experienced anger. You know, there's two things that, that the Bible never tells us that Jesus felt. Never do we find that Jesus was afraid. Never. Never does it say that Jesus was worried or anxious. There was something that Jesus knew, something about his relationship with his Father that allowed him to travel through life facing all the same hardships that you and I face and yet to be able to face it without fear and without worry. And so Jesus will give instructions to his disciples, but he will never say, do not be angry. Um, He never says, do not be sad. Jesus never commands us to not grieve. But he does say, do not be afraid. And he does say, do not worry. Because there's something about fear and worry, and really worry or anxiety is just this, this fear or this sense of dread about the future. There is something about fear and worry That according to Paul and according to Jesus are incompatible with faith. That where faith in God begins, fear and anxiety begin to end. And so we need to take those words of Paul seriously. And again, I find that both encouraging and challenging. Um, Challenging because, okay, we face this. Do you face this? I find myself at times being anxious Uh, so we're challenged by these words that that we're not to stay there, we're not to settle in that place. But I find myself encouraged too because what we're about to hear is that we don't have to be stuck there. If we find ourselves there, there's a way out. We don't have to be stuck in anxiousness. But Paul, Paul's smarter than me, he's wiser than me. He doesn't say to somebody, just don't be anxious. He says it, uh, and then he gives some truths and some tools that will help us in the face of anxiousness. And so we're going to look at these words. Just verses 4 to 7, because they kind of seem like these almost unconnected, like very quick commands or statements of Paul. When you look at them on their face, they don't necessarily look like they're all connected. The heading in my Bible says final exhortations, almost like Paul was running out of room on the scroll, and now he's just trying to like really quickly, just a few more things. But what we're going to see is all of these commands here in these verses and these statements are all connected to help us not to be anxious. And so, at the beginning of verse 4, he says what he will say over and over again in this letter. He'll use this most common word, the word joy. He says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, or literally, and I'm going to keep on saying it, rejoice. It's interesting. Rejoice. It's strange that he would command us to find joy, because I think sometimes we feel that joy is just something that happens to you. It's not something that you do. And yet, he's actually commanding joy. Rejoice. To rejoice is a choice. When are we to rejoice? Well, Paul says, when? Always. The sort of joy that we are supposed to choose is a joy that is supposed to be a 24-7, 365 rejoicing. How? How are we supposed to rejoice always? Paul says, we are to rejoice in the Lord. Now in this letter already, if you've been tracking through this sermon series, Paul has shared all, all sorts of different situations, difficult situations that he and these Christians found themselves in. At the beginning of the letter, we find that Paul was writing this from prison. So he's writing from prison. He's saying, rejoice even if you're imprisoned. He'd written about how this church was facing um oppression from the world, conflict with those outside in society. They they were persecuted. He says, um, rejoice in the face of persecution and opposition. This was a church that had conflict on the inside. We talked about that last week too. He says, rejoice even when there's conflict in your relationships. He talked about how we all occupy these lowly bodies in this life, which is a way of saying we battle sickness and weakness in our body, and some of us will know that firsthand. And he's saying in spite of sickness and weakness, re- we-, we can rejoice. And even in the face of death, he talks about his impending death. Um, he says even in death we can rejoice. What he's saying is that joy is not found in a set of circumstances, in, in, like It's not tied to something that's happening in your life and if the conditions were just right, you could rejoice, but if the conditions aren't right, then you won't be able to rejoice. He says joy isn't found in a set of circumstances. Joy is found in the Lord. Joy is found in union with Jesus Christ in this incredible reality that we through faith in Christ belong to God. Um, After all, if you look at the verses Uh, or the words just before verse four. And you know, sometimes these headings in our Bible, they kind of mess us up because we just think that we see a heading and it's something new and it's not connected with what came before. And sometimes that's not very helpful because if you look at the words he just wrote, Read that they would have just heard before he calls them to rejoice. What does he say at verse 3? He says, Your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord, for your names are written in the book of life, which means you securely belong to God and there's no person or situation or thing that can separate you from him. You are his. This is your reality, the reality for all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus Himself calls us to find our rejoicing in, right? In, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10... After the disciples have come back from doing ministry and they're all excited about what they had seen happen and Jesus says to them in Luke 10 verse 20, he says, don't rejoice that the spirits, the evil spirits submit to you, but instead rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Where are we to find our joy? It's in the relationship that we have with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul will, he talks about this in a variety of ways, but I love the way he talks about it to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. He says, But because of God's great love for us, God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. I love how he's talking about like present tense. It's not like, hey, someday you're going to be over there, but just hang on there. You're going to get there. He's like, where are you right now? Right now you are seated in the heavenly realms, in the presence of God with Jesus Christ, because your life is found in him. Because he is there, you too are there. It's a guarantee. It's a certainty. Our life is hidden in Christ. He says rejoice in that. Rejoice in the Lord. Most people think that you get joy when you get what you want. But what Paul is saying is real joy comes when you realize what you have. When you realize what you have. And and I'm not talking about like a nice house and enough food and enough extra money to go on a nice trip. What you have in, in, in the Lord Right, because we've all, as parents, right, said to our kids, you better eat those Brussels sprouts, because those kids in Africa, they would die to be eating those Brussels sprouts. Right? You should be thankful, you should be rejoiced that you've got broccoli. You've got enough food. You don't want to go to school. Those kids in Africa would love to go to school. You should be rejoicing that you get a good education, you get to go to school. You ever wondered what, like, the parents in Africa tell their kids? Like those people that we tell our kids, be thankful that you're not like that. Like what do, what do they tell their kids? I've been to Africa a couple times. I've been to Bethel, amazing place. I've been to Rwanda. I've been in a church where people were missing limbs because they were cut off during the Rwandan genocide. And people who were utterly poor, utterly poor, did not have shoes. And yet had Joy. That was a joy that did not come from their circumstances. That, that was a joy that, that came and that flowed from their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It came from their faith because they knew who they were and what they had. And That made all the difference. They knew how safe they were, that they were in the hands of God. So Paul is saying here when he says rejoice in the Lord, he's saying the conditions Christians are always right to rejoice And that doesn't mean we don't feel grief and sorrow and loss and anger and these other things because Paul will even say in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, we are grieving and yet always rejoicing. So it doesn't matter what we are also doing. He says, we we are also yet to be rejoicing in the Lord because who we are and what we have in Him. We are to choose joy in the Lord. And he says, that joy will lead to gentleness. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to everyone. I think what he's saying is if 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 you really find your joy in the Lord, if that's where that's coming from, you're not gonna have this, this mentality of poverty, right, or insecurity where you gotta vie for yourself and you gotta defend yourself because that's the opposite of gentleness. It's being contentious, it's being quarrelsome, right? It's being defensive, easily angered, because you feel like you, you you've got to secure yourself. But he says, if you know who you are in the Lord, you can go through life in these relationships with this gentleness about you because you have this mentality of richness and security in Christ. Be gentle. Uh, may, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. What does he mean that the Lord is near? There's something about the nearness of God that helps us in the face of anxiety. He might be talking about the return of Christ, like the Lord is near, like he's going to come back anytime now. He might be talking that way. You know, Jesus will talk about this time when he's coming back and how he is at the very door, at the very gates. It's a picture of the fact that Jesus is not far away, like he's just on the other side of the door with his hand on the doorknob. And at any moment, at the decision of God, he will be there in, in, at just the right time at just the right time. It's not like when God decides to, 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 to help or to deliver, there's this long process of, of Him coming. It's like He's right on the other side of the door, ready for you. Not like, I don't know if you've been following the news, right? There's this debate, are, are we going to give Ukraine tanks as they try to defend themselves against Russia? And if, if the Germans give their Leopold tanks the Americans will give their Abram tanks, and finally they decided, yeah, we're going to give the tanks. Oh, Well, I don't know what you think about that, but when I was reading, I thought, uh, okay, well, that, that will help. And then I read the delivery time frame to get it there, to, okay, two to three years. Whoa. Hang on, guys. Two to three years. It'll be, we made the decision today in two to three years. And so what he's what saying, the Lord is near, is like, he... He's right on the other side of the door. He's not far away, and he's got to, it's not this long process. He is close to you. He probably has in mind this closeness um, that, that we have with us, the presence, um, the, 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 the watchful care of God in our lives. That's probably what Paul has in mind here. Uh, like it says in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted to those who suffer, to those who struggle, to those who are anxious. The Lord is close to the anxious. His watchful care is on them. His presence is right there. As Paul would say in Psalm 139, I love these words. My, my brother-in-law just yesterday, he got deployed. He's a little anxious because he got deployed. Uh, he's a Marine in the States, and so he's on a 10-month deployment. Had to leave his new wife for 10 months. Be sent to the other side of the world. And I texted him these verses yesterday, but this is what the, the words of David in Psalm 139, he says, "'Where can I go from your spirit, God? "'Where can I flee from your presence? "'If I go up to the heavens, you are there. "'If I my, make my, my bed in the depths, in that cave, "'that dark place right deep in the earth, you are there. "'If I rise on the wings of the dawn, "'if I settle on the far side of the sea, "'even there your hand will guide me, "'and your right hand will hold me fast.'" Your presence is with me wherever I go, whether I want it or not. I can't flee from you. You are with me. I can't hide. I can't be hidden from your sight, from your care. God's watchful care is always on his people. And this is what Paul is reminding them. He's saying, Christians, going through hard things, facing worry, God is never more than an arm's reach from you. You are never outside of an arm's reach from God. Don't be anxious about anything. God is good. God is able. And God cares. And you are never more than an arm's reach from Him. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything that's an interesting word, anxious, because, of course, when we use it in English, that's always a, a, a negative word. Um, that word that Paul used here sometimes is a positive word and sometimes it's a negative word. Like, he used it, actually, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 20, in a positive sense. He says of, of his friend Timothy, whom this church had sent to him, he says, I have no one like him, like Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. That, that genuine concern, that's the same word for everyone who looks out for their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. Paul will talk about how he has concern. He feels burdened for all the churches. He says that in 2 Corinthians, I feel concern for all of their churches who who, who is in pain and I don't feel it, who sins and I who, who 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 sins and I don't burn inwardly because of it. Like I feel what you feel. I am for you. I care so deeply for you. So when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, some people kind of, they, they try to come, overcome anxiety by just detaching themselves from situations, by growing emotionally numb, by just not caring, by being dispassionate. This is actually the path of Eastern religion. Empty yourself of emotion. Feel nothing. Right? Cross your legs, go, mm, I, mean, I don't know how that all works, but... But that's the essence, empty yourself so that you do not feel. What, what Paul is saying here is, is not that we are to live unconcerned, dispassionate lives, you know, not to care and feel burdened for those around us, because we, we are, but, but there's a certain concern, he says, that you ought not to have, that you don't need to have, Right? This anxiety that he's saying, don't don't be anxious, it's loss of peace with God. It's fear for the future. It's a lack of trust in God's care. And he says, you don't need to feel this anxiousness that brings fear into your life. The solution, he says, um, isn't just to tell them to stop being anxious. Like, just don't be anxious. Tell yourself. You, You ever... I find that when you speak to yourself that way, like it often makes the problem worse. Right? I said a couple Sundays ago, you know, you, would, you know when you're by the cliff? Don't jump off the cliff. Don't move towards the cliff. You're focused on the cliff. Don't, don't, don't. And you find yourself drawn to the thing. You're saying, don't, don't, don't. And so I know some of you, you hear, don't be anxious. And you go, that just made me more anxious. The thought of not having to not be anxious only makes me more, I'm anxious about being anxious. Do you ever feel that? I'm anxious about, I ought not to be anxious. It's a sin to be anxious. Am I not a good Christian? I'm anxious. About, no, my problem is just growing. He's not saying he's be focused on not being anxious. It's not self-talk. That doesn't help. That makes worse. And I mean, we, we, we all respond to anxiousness in our own ways. I I, I pace. Erica knows when I'm anxious. I pace, and what else do I do? (laughs) Pray. Monica, you think way too highly of me. (laughs) (laughs) Whistle? I I asked, Daniel even knew, because I asked him in the first service, and he knew how I'm going to whistle. So people that know me now, they know as soon as I'm whistling, Erica's like, what are you worried about? What do you mean? Well, you're whistling. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm worried about something. I'm thinking about it. I'm pacing and I'm whistling. We all have our own thing. But, but he's saying here the solution is not to self self-talk, right? Just to say we ought not to. It's God talk, okay? So we're to turn we are to turn away from anxiousness by turning to something. And what is what, what he says is supposed to replace the anxious thoughts? Verse verse six: do not be anxious about Anything, But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He's saying, don't turn inward with your anxiousness. Don't even turn outward towards others. Although it is obviously not bad and be very good and healthy to be able to share and receive support from others. But he's saying, your, your anxiousness should cause you to turn upward to turn upward to God, to talk to God. Talk to God about it. Because that's what prayer is, right? You knew that? Prayer is not some really, you you don't need to go get a degree in it to figure, prayer is talking to God. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, no matter what you're facing, what you need to do is you need to talk to God and to understand kind of what he's saying here, The version I'm using, NIV, up on the screen, it doesn't really give you that great sense that the readers who got it, the letter in the Greek would have understood because he uses these two parallel statements, the same words that we don't see here. But if you throw that up on the screen, this is literally what Paul says here in these verses. He says, let your gentleness be known to all people. Let your requests be known to God. So there's two things here, right? Something is given to people and something is given to God. He says, don't give your anxiety to people, turn to God and pour out out your heart, cry out to God. I think what Paul is saying is, people should know your gentle response. God wants to know your cries for help. In other words, be gentle with people and be genuine with God. And very often I think we get that reversed. Be gentle with people, but be genuine with God. I think sometimes we treat God with kids' gloves. God's like, he's like, I'm a, I am can take it. Come and share with me your fears. Come share with me your hurts. Come share with me your questions and your doubts or whatever. Come cry out to me, right? But sometimes I think that we need to come to God and we, we want to be gentle with God. We want to be proper and only pray the right sort of things. But that's not what Paul is saying here. That will not help you. That will keep you in your anxiousness. What you need to do is in prayer, you need to come and you need to present your requests. You need to cry out to God for help. So let's not get that backwards he's saying you need to burden god all in every situation because that's what that's what he invites you to do Is now what jesus said ask you have not because you ask not ask seek knock in the door be bang on the door of heaven on god's door every hour in every situation don't suppress but express your cries to your father in heaven I think this is one of the reasons that we're given the book of Psalms, right? These 150 prayers of David and, and others to God, just a whole range of prayers, right? Joy, celebration, lament, sorrow, anger, confusion, fear. He gets really real with God. Like, look what he David says in Psalm 13. He says, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And this is the pattern you see over and over again in these prayers. You see Paul just crying out, not suppressing, but expressing his heart before God in a variety of ways. But then in every occasion at the end, he he kind of comes back to, but. But, I will trust in you. My heart will rejoice in your salvation, for you have been good to me. This is the sort of prayer that Paul is is asking us to come to pray as we confront our anxious thoughts. Cast your anxiety on the Lord because He cares for you. Do you do that? Do you pray like that? Do you pray those sort of prayers, Paul says, in every situation, no matter what you're going through? Do you go through your day expressing the contents and the cries of your heart out to God with whatever you're facing? Cast your anxiety on Him. Peter says, burden God because He cares for you. Luther says, pray and let God worry. D.A. Carson, um, pastor that uh, I sometimes read, he said this, I have yet to meet a chronic worrier who enjoys an excellent prayer life. There's something about coming and just expressing the cry of our heart to God that combats anxious thoughts. So instead of going inward with self-talk, which which we kind of naturally do, I think, our anxiety causes us to do, he says you need to look upward. You need to talk to God about it. And not not just talk in, in any sort of way. Not every type of prayer combats anxieties. Like what I'm not saying is go curse God. Call God evil. Don't accuse God. Demand something from God. That's not the sort of prayer he's talking about here. He, he gives it a little bit of a description. He says, don't be anxious about anything, uh, but by prayer with supplication and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Supplication, all of your needs. Express that to God, but express that with thanksgiving, which is to say, do all of that, just like David did. Do that, but also Be mindful. Also pray the prayer of thanksgiving, remembering who you are and what you have in Christ Jesus. Prayer is the way, the tool that God has given us to battle these anxious thoughts. Pray in every situation. The prayer of supplication with thanksgiving. Sometimes when we're anxious, we just don't want to pray. Sometimes we think we only pray when when we feel like praying. I don't know if Jesus did that. Like, when he was regularly out praying, I think prayer is a discipline. You know, when he was overcome with with all of these demands and the weight of all of these, because he really cared, He, he had genuine concern for people, and that could be overwhelming, Jesus had the discipline of getting away just to talk to his Father. And so I want you to see here that prayer is is a command. He's not saying just it's something that will just happen on its own. It's something that you have to choose to do, even if you don't want to do it. Because anxious thoughts kind of keep us inside, turned inward. Prayer is a discipline. It's something that you just need to do, whether you feel like it or not. Because in doing this, in, in just presenting one's heart to God, but then also praying with thanksgiving, speaking to yourself, and thanking a God for what He has done for you, what He all of His promises to you, who you are in relationship with Him, he says, if you do that, you will experience the peace of God which transcends all understanding. But, but that's not just something that you do once, right? It's like pray in every situation. This is a pattern. He's not saying, oh, you're anxious. Pray that once. It's, it's still there. What do I do? He's like saying this, this is a pattern of life. In the situations of your life, be quick to go and burden God honestly, before Him. He wants nothing more than to carry your burdens. So I just want to say prayer is a discipline, because I know, especially when we're anxious, we we don't feel like doing it. Someone after the first service, they they gave me like a little um, illustration, which sometimes I will use other people's stuff, and I rarely ever give credit, but uh, a gal came and said, yeah, it's like water. It's like when, when, when I'm just drinking enough water, I want water. I drink water. But when I become dehydrated, when you become thirsty, that means you lack water. You're dehydrated. But, but when you're in that position, you don't want the thing that you need. Right? She says, I think that's kind of like anxiety. When you're, when you're feeling that, just the very feeling of that can kind of keeps us, takes away maybe the, the desire to pray. And so that's what I want you to hear here. Prayer, he says, don't just expect the desire to cry to God. Prayer is a command. And so I remember um, someone in the church here who, who was going through tough things, who was struggling with anxiousness and didn't really have this desire to pray and just kind of wanted, was worried by that. What do I do about that? And um, I told this person, we talked about prayer being a discipline. I said, you just need to set a time. You need to set a time. You make a time to pray from this time to that time, and you set the alarm, and you're going to pray for 10 minutes, and you're not going to stop talking to God until the timer goes off. Have you ever tried that? You're just going to, and, and, and here's what I want to commend. Talk out, when, 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 when you are struggling with anxious thoughts, talk out loud. Talk out loud. Pray. I. I this is just me. I'm not... This isn't chapter and verse. But I find when I open my mouth and I let the words come out of my mouth to God, I just find I am able to unburden myself um, in a way that I can't if I just sit in quietness and bow my head and be a good little boy. Wander your house, open your mouth, set a time, set the alarm, right? Commit to pray to supplicate before God which is to cry out to present your needs to present your problems but not just that but then also to pray thanksgiving and so I said to this person take time to do that for a few minutes and then set aside time so many minutes to only pray thanksgiving only to thank God for his promises and all that he has given you Paul says Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation pray, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, he doesn't command peace, he says peace is something that will happen, peace is something that will come to you, something that God will give, which will transcend, surpass all of these anxious thoughts that, that, that come to your mind, that come to your heart. The peace of God will guard your hearts. And I don't, he's not talking about this feeling of peace. Just throw up this last verse here, Jasmine. Romans 5, verse 1, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace he's talking about. This is the peace that God has made with us through faith in his Son. Right, because when we, when, we, when we trust in Jesus, when we repent of our sins, what happens? God forgives us completely. God gives us the gift of eternal life. God brings us into his family and he calls us child and he says, you call me father. Right? God says, my presence is now with you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. This is the peace you now have with me through Christ. He says, this peace now as you, as you are mindful of that, as you rejoice in the Lord, as you know that the Lord is near, as you present your request to God with thanksgiving, this peace, this reality, will guard, will be this protection, will guard your hearts um, and minds from these anxious thoughts that will come to you, kind of like a weighted blanket. Do you have a weighted blanket? I'll just... I heard of weighted blankets. If you spend 300 bucks at Superstore, which isn't hard these days. Get two, two jugs of milk and a box of crackers, that's 300 bucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, this last week, you spent 300 bucks, you get the gift. Ah, oh, what's the gift? It's a weighted blanket. Hmm. What's a weighted blanket? I read a weighted blanket is to help you with anxiety. Apparently the pressure of the blanket does something to your nervous system, it slows your heartbeat? Because you feel protected. You feel covered. You don't feel exposed. Right? He's saying the peace of God covers you. I I remember times in our life with both Eric and I were going through anxious periods. We'd actually pray that way. We would pray, God, would you surround us like a blanket? Would you cover us? Right? And, And with, with your peace. And he says, if you know this peace of God through Jesus Christ, that peace will, will guard you from these anxious thoughts, these lies that can bring crushing anxiety. So this morning, are you anxious about anything? I want to invite you into a moment of prayer but maybe this is very personal for you. Um, I invite you to bow your head and, and maybe close your eyes as, as we take, um, take a couple of minutes to pray together. But are you anxious about something this morning? Technically it's the afternoon. I want to invite God just to search our hearts and just to show us if there's kind of any anxious thoughts within us and, and, um, and then just to return those to Him in faith. Because Paul said and Jesus said, um, if we belong to Christ, we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to worry. We have a God who is all-powerful. We have a God who loves we have a God who cares. We have a God who is with us. So just in prayer here, um, let me just read these words over you. And then I just want to give you a minute to uh, just allow God to search your hearts and for you just to begin kind of um, laying, bringing that before Him um, in prayer. Let me read these over you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I just want to give you a moment to talk with God and just just ask that of him. God, would you just test me and search my heart? for any anxious thoughts. Take a moment just to offer those to God, just to cast your cares onto Him. Maybe there's some situation in your life right now that's just kind of a source of anxiousness, source of worry or fear. Tell God you're worried. Tell God you're afraid. Take a moment to thank Him for who you are through His Son, for the eternal life, for the security that you have in Him. Father, we rejoice in you, Lord. In this room, we're facing just a whole bunch of situations. Some of us were facing really difficult things. Some of us were were anxious, we're just not sure why. Lord, but we just choose today to rejoice in you. And Lord, would you help us tomorrow to choose to rejoice in you and who you are and who we are in you, Lord. Rejoice in this reality that we we are in your care, that we belong to you. And nothing, no one and no situation can take us out of your hand. We are safe. Lord, would you just enable us just to uh, go from here and as we encounter the anxious thoughts of life, Just develop this practice of just talking to you, God, freely. Thank you that we can come. We don't have to be formal. We don't have to curtsy. We don't have to use the right words. Lord, but you just invite us to come as children to a father to pour out out our hearts, trusting that you care and that you are all that we need. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.